Voice of Choice podcast ad paid for by Californians for School Choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom. Trapped by their zip codes, the poorest children are denied access to a quality education that will enable them to break the cycle of poverty and take their rightful place in our society. This is real systemic racism. It's time to put school choice on the ballot. Hello, this is Mike Alexander, president of Californians for School Choice. Under the Educational Freedom Act initiative, parents, not zip codes, will decide where their children go to school. Parents wanting to leave the disastrous public school system will receive a yearly tuition credit of $14,000 per child to attend a private or religious school of their choice and save any money left over for college, vocational training, or other qualified expense. To sign the petition and learn how you can help, go to californiaschoolchoice.org. That's californiaschoolchoice.org. And remember, it's your kids, your money, and your choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom. Welcome to the California School Choice Radio Network, hosted by Mike Alexander, the lead proponent of the Educational Freedom Act Initiative and chairman of Californians for School Choice. Join us to learn how to put parents, not politicians, in charge of our children's education. And now, here's your host, Mike Alexander, the voice of choice in California education. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Episode 4 of The Voice of Choice. This is Mike Alexander, President of the California School Choice Foundation and also Chairman of Californians for School Choice. And you know as well, we are the I'm one of the lead proponents of the Educational Freedom Act initiative, which is now gathering signatures to place it on the November 2022 ballot, and we need your help. And for those of you who are not familiar with the provisions of this bill, I'll review them with with you once again. Be sure to forward this email and the links so that your friends and neighbors can hear about this important message. The Educational Freedom Act initiative has four key features. Once passed, it will create, on the request of a parent or guardian, an education savings account for every K-12 child wishing to have one. Number two, that account will annually be credited with that child's share of basic California education funding, which is currently about 15,000. Ours will start at 14,000. Projected for 22-23 is actually higher. We'll start at 14. Number three, the parents, not the zip code or the school board or the local union representative, can direct those funds to a participating accredited private or religious school. And number four, keep any money you have left over for college, vocational training, or other qualified educational expense. It's pure, it's beautiful, it applies to everybody, including homeschoolers, and is generating incredible excitement throughout this state. So be sure to go to our website, all spelled out, californiaschoolchoice.org. Go to that website, sign up if you've not already done so, mention that you want to volunteer, and don't forget to give us some love. For those of you who can't uh, uh, 
uh, or does not desire to get out there and actually gather signatures, you can give us some money. We'll get some people out there who are able to do so physically. We know that a lot of you are, are restricted by job or family or physical problems from actually hitting the streets. No problem. We'll get somebody else to do it. And for those of you who are interested, call us. We'll give you some training. We'll show you how to do all of these things. In fact, we've got some videos up on our incredible website. Go there, and you can learn how to gather these things and be part of a winning solution uh, for California. Because remember, <clears throat> our California so-called schools are 48th in the nation, depending upon what poll you're reading these days. But I can tell you what, they're in the high 40s out of 50. And for those who say the school choice will ruin the public school system, potentially, my reply to them is, no, it won't. You've already done that. It's almost impossible for our schools to get any worse. But your students can do better. They can get your tax money now, the same tax money they will pay for the rest of their lives. If they live here in California for K-12, they can take their money and they can get access to quality education. And I'll tell you what, that this issue, school choice, access to the to the system, the growing recognition that the public school system itself is the chief obstacle and the chief impediment to access to quality education is becoming the new civil rights action of the era. And many of you may already have heard of it, but there's a clip that's going to be played here in just a minute. And that clip is represents uh, the words and a speech and presentation made by a fellow named Justin Wayne. And he's a state senator in the state of, ba of Nebraska. He also happens to be a black Democrat. This isn't important to me, but it is important to a lot of people who keep track of these things. But uh, Senator Wayne's comments on school choice are right on the mark. And this is why school choice here in California, our entire movement, spans all parties. It's a nonpartisan issue. It transcends race. It transcends ethnicity. It goes beyond where you came from. We are all joined together and wanting a decent education for our children. So I want you to watch this clip. And when we come back, I'll close up and then we'll get ready for our first guest of the day. So here's my offer to all of the people here who have kids. Here's my offer. I will vote to kill this bill if you send your kids to one of the kids' schools in my district that we're waiting to turn around. If you do that, Senator Day, Senator Kavanaugh, John Kavanaugh, I know Michaela will. Everybody get on the mic and let's make that promise. Let's transfer the kids. So as we spend six, seven years in elementary school changing a school, your kid be a part of that change. And when they fall behind, when they don't have the resources, allegedly, when they're dealing with suspensions and things like that, then we can all go through it together. Hey, how did you like that video? Incredible, huh? Uh, did this guy tell him or what? I, I think, uh, what, what's that phrase? This is my brother by another mother. I could not, if I'd been invited to write a script, I could not have written one better. And there is a man who speaks the truth to power in his own party. And it shows the deep desire on the part 
of uh, people to go to those schools uh, to get access to quality education. And it also speaks the other truth that the system itself is what has prevented the people in his community, black children, minority children, poor children, from getting access to a decent education. And he knows the choice is the answer. And uh, I'm looking forward, I hope, to bringing him on this show next week or the week after to do an interview. I'm excited to meet him. I'm excited to have you hear more from him. So that there's uh, you know the uh, the end of the beginning here. We now go on to our our first guest uh, of the day, who will be on uh, in in a moment, and that will be Denisha Merriweather, who is the director of public relations and content marketing at the American Federation for Children. She's also founder of Get This Black Minds Matter. Denisha previously served as school choice at youth liaison to the Secretary of Education at the United States Department of Education. You're going to love hearing from her. California schools rank 48th nationally, even though we spend $20,000 per year per student, that's $500,000 per classroom. This system is nothing but a fraud, a hustle, and a con. It's time to put school choice on the ballot. Hello, this is Mike Alexander, Chairman of Californians for School Choice. Under the Educational Freedom Act initiative, parents will decide where their children go to school. Each child will receive a yearly tuition credit of $14,000 to attend a private or religious school of their choice and save any money left over for college, vocational training, or other qualified expense. To sign the petition and learn how you can help, go to californiaschoolchoice.org. That's californiaschoolchoice.org. californiaschoolchoice.org. And remember, it's your kids, your money, and your choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom. All right, everybody, we're back with you now. And, and we're happy to have uh, joining us today, Miss Denisha Merriweather, who is the Director of Public Relations and Content Marketing at the American Federation for Children and, and I love this part, founder of Black Minds Matter. Denisha previously served as school choice and youth liaison to the Secretary of Education and at the United States Department of Education. Her resume is much, much longer, more interesting uh, than that. I thought we'd go ahead and get into it. Rather than me read it, we, we let her talk to us about yourself. Welcome, Denisha. How are you today? Thank you so much, Kevin, for having me. It's such a pleasure to be on. Well, same here. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, the American Federation for Children? And, uh, and by the way, uh, don't forget to give us your website there. Yeah, so the American Federation for Children, our website is federationforchildren.org. Um, and we are the largest um, national advocacy organization for school choice. So we mostly work in three main buckets. So we have a PAC where we're actively supporting candidates who support parental rights, who support parental empowerment through school choice. Um, we have the 501c4 where we do political lobbying. And we have the advocacy arm where we are actively 
building up the army of parent um, activists and student activists to advocate for school choice options. And so that's a little bit about the American Federation for Children. Excellent. Uh, How many states are you working in currently? So right now, our focus states, we have about, um, I want to say, 10 or 12 focus states um, that we're working in. Um, Yeah. Well, today you're you're now working in California. I <laughs> know we California <laughs> is so hard, and so yeah. I'm I'm happy to be on and happy to know that there are boots on the ground in this coalition that you formed to yes. try to get some momentum. Absolutely, yeah, and, and we're finding you have the conventional wisdom here it is that uh, you know that Democrats oppose it, and it's almost the first question I get, particularly from a. Uh, uh, a certain group of uh, conservatives or Republicans or whatever, they say, well, how are you going to get this passed in a Democrat state? And my answer is always the same. Why Democrats are going to vote for this small D Democrats. And these would be, you know, the, the Democrats were not professionals. They're not capital D. They don't do politics for a living. They work for a living somewhere. They have children they're concerned about. And, and overwhelmingly in California, we're talking about Black and Latino uh, Democrats and others, uh, uh, people who just don't make a heck of a lot of money, who are in this uh, uh, who are in this predicament with the rest of us. And, and, and as we go out, and, and let me tell you, Denisha, when I have my weekly meetings with my county leaders up and down the state, the first question that I uh, ask them is this. Tell me who refused to sign your petition this week. And it's darn near crickets. Every once in a while, uh, there's a a union member or a doctrinaire political operative of some sort. But everybody signs this. Every color, freckled people, non-freckled people, uh, Martians, you name it. Uh, Everybody's signing this petition. So... This conventional wisdom is exactly that conventional wisdom, and it's wrong. What is, uh, I mean, uh, you are a lady of color, as they say, uh, in your own community. What kind of reaction to school choice getting? Well, the the fact is that when we poll voters, um, so there's a national poll by Real Clear that shows that 70 percent of Democrats support school choice, 73 yes. percent um, of black voters, 69 uh, percent of Hispanic voters um, support school choice. And so this is not a um, it is a political issue at the state houses, but it is not a political issue amongst voters. Voters want school choice. We've seen this phenomenon that took place in Florida and also more recently in Virginia with the gubernatorial races where in Florida, um, Governor Ron DeSantis and Andrew Gillum, Ron DeSantis being a white Republican, Andrew Gillum being a black Democrat. Right. You know, you look at the, the news, there were celebrities who endorsed Andrew Gillum. And by all public accounts, you would have thought that Andrew Gillum would have won gubernatorialship, but he didn't. He lost because of his stance and his position on school choice. He said that he would abolish the programs. He would roll by back charter schools. 
and in the state of Florida. And it was the vote of black women who swayed that and voted overwhelmingly for Ron DeSantis. And that's how he um, became elected. He's the he's known as the school choice governor. And most of the school choice programs across the country are not only um uh, benefiting uh, minorities, but they're they're in, they're implemented for low income students who we know low income students are mostly minority, and so the constituent base for school choice bro- programs are black and brown people, and they mm-hmm. want school choice. And like you mentioned, it's not that the public doesn't want it; it's that the people who are in the state house, the Democrats, who are you know basically in bed with the teachers unions don't mm-hmm. support their constituents. And that's the problem that we have. And that's something that with this new project, Black Minds Matter, that we hope to call out those those hypocrites to let them know, you know, no more. You can't do that. Uh, Kevin, my producer, I want you to know this lady is after my job. It was a, it was a mistake to bring her on. Yeah. Oh, they're going to say that, that, that she's a shill. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and, and I'm so, uh, you know, when we're out here fighting in the wilderness, uh, sometimes you can, you feel alone in these insights and, and uh, to have them ratified by somebody else who uh, coming at it independently uh, from a very different set of experiences is a source of, uh, of great reassurance uh, to me. So it's delightful to hear because this is what I've learned growing up in Los Angeles in all these neighborhoods. Uh, and, and and knowing knowing of the predicament that they have now, Denisha, in uh, this uh, blurb, this little summary that I have here is a uh, is a is a is a terrible statistic. Only fifteen out of one hundred black students nationwide are proficient in reading. High school graduation rates for black students continue to lag behind their white peers. And studies show that 70% of black males without a high school diploma will end up in prison. Uh, That is a shocking, but yet nonetheless real statistic. And it doesn't really seem to upset people at all. Not Uh, at all. What, you know. You know, I, I get out in front of a fair number of, of audiences and the people that I speak in front of, which are overwhelmingly uh, uh, communities of faith, are shocked and appalled by all this. Mm-hmm. And they're amazed that after having voted year after year for higher and higher taxes, more and more school bonds, more and more money for so-called education, that this job still hasn't been done. What can you what do you think about that from your perspective and experience? Yeah, it is. It's very um, it's disheartening when you continue to see these really dismal statistics that show that black students, specifically black students, are not on par and um, they're really being pushed into the criminal justice system. And mm-hmm. that's why Black Minds Matter was formulated dur- during the civil unrest of, you know, the summer of 2020 with the murder of George Floyd. Everyone, every organization was basically peeling back the covers, trying to see if there was any remnant of injustice, any racial injustice. I often tell people there were syrup bottles that were looking and saying, oh, this syrup (laughs) bottle is racist. (laughs) 
the right. syrup bottle. Right. And right. yet we failed to look at the education system and we failed to look at the institutional injustices in that system and how students are performing. And that really made me upset because I'm a product out of the public school system until I went to a private school. I failed the third grade twice. My family has dropped out of high school and I was the first in my family to receive a high school diploma, went on to college and got a master's degree. So when things like that happened, I was looking and like very just upset, really. And I don't know why people don't get upset about it when they hear the statistics and they hear that 70 percent of, you know, high school black boys who don't graduate from high school will end up in prison. Mm -hmm. Then they, you know, become a little bit more concerned. And so I think that's what we have to do as education reformers continue to let people know that. This is not a stagnant issue. This is not something that we can we we have to just accept. Um, there is a feasible alternative, unlike all of the other initiatives that we have that's are that are supposedly supposed to empower black people um, with school choice. We've we've known we have studies to prove that when school choice programs are implemented, students perform well. Um, there's a study done by the Urban Institute that showed that students who participated on um, the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship, not only graduated from high school, but went to college and graduated from college at higher rates than their public school counterparts. And those are the type of statistics that I like to see. Harvard and Stanton also found that students who participated in charter schools, um, I forget the state, I want to say it was um, D.C., but mm -hmm. I may be wrong on that, but they found, Harvard and Stanton found that students who participate in the charter schools there um, they went to college and had better academic outcomes than their public school, their traditional public school counterparts. Those are the type of statistics yeah. that I like to hear. So, that's yeah, that's you're, right. you're totally right. I, and, you know, I, I love when I saw this here a few months ago, one, one of our uh, <clears throat> the wonderful black women uh, who are heavily involved in our, our movement in the black community, uh, Miss Ashley, we call her. She's prepared one of these uh, uh, brochures, uh, flyers there. And, and she had all these logos. And, and my eyes zeroed in on that one. It was what, orange on black. And it said, black minds matter. And I was just blown away. You know, still one of the greatest ads ever. If, you, if they ever did a Madison Avenue Hall of Fame of great ads, whether it's Alka-Seltzer or catchy themes or whatever, but one of the great uh, campaigns ever was uh, the NAACP's ad back, start back in the 60s or 70s, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. I've got a producer here mouthing those words. Everybody knows that, and Black Minds Matter in today's uh, right. world is very much akin to that. When yeah. I speak in front of audiences uh, of all kinds, varieties, racial compositions, I always point out that, uh, that it's not just about our children. My children are raised. My grandchildren are fine. Uh, uh, yours are doing all right. But every, we have to be concerned about everybody's children because their future is one that we share for better or for worse.
And, yeah, we talk about economic outcomes. We talk about criminal justice, civic engagement. These are all things that stem from an inadequate K through 12 education. And right. if we if we really say those words, then a lot will change in that space. But until we acknowledge that a lot of the societal problems that we're having right now when it comes to the, the criminal justice system being overcrowded when it comes to yes. people living off of welfare, when it comes to um, just all of fatherless home. Like we, we have so many societal problems that can be fixed if we focus on the K through 12 system. That's my opinion. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And, you know, there's an article that I've worked on uh, a concept. I'm not sure if you and Steve Smith and I discussed this or not, but it's a speculation you know, about Brown versus Board of Education. The, you know, there's only a few cases that uh, ev everybody kind of recognizes, you know, Miranda, everybody knows about Miranda and, and a few other cases, but the one everybody knows about is Brown versus Board of Education. <clears throat> and when we go back and we look at the civil rights movement, that the, uh, the, uh the, the second part of it that began in the 50s here uh, with uh, Justice Thurgood Marshall, uh, then a lawyer, of course, fighting these cases. It was a struggle at bottom for access to quality education. And they were attacking the separate but equal doctrine because it was perceived that what they needed was equal access to the public schools rather than equal access to quality education. Imagine how different it would have been if the focus of the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s had been on school choice. Hey, you people keep your schools. You white folks keep your schools. You just give us our tax money and we'll do for ourselves. We'll find schools. We'll find schools that want us. We'll go to places uh, uh, of our own. We'll run our own schools. Can you imagine how different things would be today? Yeah, there's I've, I've written um, a few op-eds outlining and talking about the history of um, school choice um, in the mm. black community. I will put quotations on school choice because it wasn't really a choice back then. Right. But and there's a great paper by um, Dr. James Foreman um, Jr. I believe he worked. He's a professor at Harvard or Yale, but he actually wrote a paper and it's titled School Choice and How Progressives Got There First, um, talking about the history oh. and how during the Freeman's Bureau, you're exactly right. During before Brown versus Board, there are accounts that um, black people in America had schools, you know, underground schools mm -hmm. in pits. And then during the time of slavery, they were operating secretly um, schools. And during the time of um, uh, segregation, they had independent before segregation during the, so before the civil rights movement, they had independent um, schools that were then changed by the Freeman's Bureau into public schools. And some of these people didn't accept the funds from the federal government to change their independent schools into public schools. They kept them as independent or what we would call today private schools. Right. And then um, a little bit later on, you have this partnership between um, between uh, Booker T. Washington and um, Rosenwald, uh, Julius Rosenwald, who got together and created 5000 
independent private schools across the country, black run schools. And this was before there were there was a children's scholarship fund or any policies to support tax credit scholarships. This was a philanthropist like many that we have today who said, you know, you should own and operate your own schools and and create quality schools for yourselves and um, had that partnership. And so you're exactly right. And that's where I, I school choice today is again, empowering to that piece because now not just black people, but all types of diversities of diversity of school options are now being able to be implemented because of the various programs that we have today. I love the, uh, I'm like a hippie in a way. I have like plants all in my background. And I just love the development of the outdoor Montessori type schools, the homeschool Mm -hmm. co-ops that's been able to be developed because of school choice programs that are able to support them. And we wouldn't have had a lot of these if it hadn't been for, for these policies. So it is, it's a really cool thing to sit back and watch all of the new innovative options um, in the education space. Yeah, it's, it's, it's astonishing. You know, the, when we talk about diversity, we always think about it in racial terms, but as a matter of fact, when we just get into what people do, the real diversity is in what we call our free enterprise system. That is the diversity of thought, the diversity of action, uh, of opportunity, and millions and millions of people making separate independent decisions and coming up with innovations and developments that continue to surprise us. And, right. and, I, and I'm shocked, uh, though not surprised. We know why, why it happens. But it's still shocking nonetheless to think that a single-payer, single-provider medical system remains controversial in, in this country and has had trouble succeeding. And yet, when we look at the so-called school system, it's single-payer, a single-provider, and it provides a uniform, unchallenged set of ideas. It's one set of books. It's one set of thoughts. It's one set of ideas. It's one uh, one single version of it. No teacher would would ever uh, uh, agree to a system that required that they buy a a a, a Yugo uh, from the Soviet Union uh, in, in 1980s and drive that thing around. That's the only car you're going to get. I don't even know what a Yugo is. You, <laughs> Well, that was the Soviet uh, equivalent of our school system with four uh-huh. wheels on it, right? It was uh, it was a piece of junk divide, uh, designed by uh, central planners and designed to somehow show that the Soviet Union could compete with the United States, Japanese, and German automobile industries. Uh, hint, uh, that thing didn't work any more than our, our schools do. We we've got to make this uh, you know decision uh, for the uh, for for the children and uh, and begin to make inroads among uh, politicians. I look. What am I getting? A two minute warning. The, the, Denisha and I could go for two more hours, and I'm going to have, have have her back on. Would you tell us what your website is, Denisha? 
Yeah. So um, Black Minds Matter, focusing <laughs> on school choice and changing the narrative. Um, our website is blackmindsmatter.net. Oh, um, so I encourage everyone to go look at it. It's beautiful. Um, you can follow the movement and get uh, get updates um, by, uh, you know, clicking the join um, button. And yeah. That's right. Well, it, it, and I know that you and I agree that all minds matter and black minds matter. And when, if you've ever been in the criminal justice system, and I have, and to go in there and see all these kids that never had a chance because they, they can't even read the documents that you're putting in front of them to yes. sign. They barely understand the rights. They were never taught to them. They have no idea what they're doing. And, and this is a scandal that is outrageous. And, and the politicians and the institutions that that failed to respond to the needs of these children must now be moved around. And all of us citizens, men and women of good faith from all communities must come together to address a serious problem. And, and I'm glad to count myself as working shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm with Denisha Merriweather Director of Public Relations and Content Marketing at the American Federation for Children. Denisha, thanks again for being on the show today. If you hold up for a moment, I'll chat with you. Uh, and, uh, and then when we come back, we're going to uh, have our uh, weekly session of Government Grifter of the Week Award with our secret correspondent, Juan Tiara. We're clear. All right, we're clear. Hey, Denisha, what a great interview. You and I could go for a long time. Right? Uh, yeah. Uh, you're back there. Are, are you in Florida? Or Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're in God's country back there, and uh, you, you guys can actually operate. But uh, we're going to have to – you plan to come out here anytime soon for any reason? I would love to come to California. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we 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 got to make that happen somehow uh, because uh, you know this is uh, this whole school choice issue is uh, is heating up, and yeah. we've got uh, we've got voices uh, from all over that are that that are coming coming through and and taking a leadership role, and a tremendous amount of that energy is coming out of black churches and black communities, men and women of faith. It's really driving this whole thing. So, uh, you know, I'll have to follow up with you here in this coming week, and you and I can talk a little strategy and, and talk about how we get you out here, okay? Yeah, well, thank you right. so much for thank having you, me on. Oh, my pleasure, ma'am. You take care. All right. You too. All right, bye-bye now. Trapped by their zip codes, the poorest children are denied access to a quality education that will enable them to break the cycle of poverty and take their rightful place in our society. This is real systemic racism. It's time to put school choice on the ballot. Hello, this is Mike Alexander, president of Californians for School Choice. Under the Educational Freedom Act initiative, parents, not zip codes, will decide where their children go to school. Parents wanting to leave the disastrous public school system will receive a yearly tuition credit of $14,000 per child to attend a private or religious school of their choice and save any money left over for college, vocational training, or other qualified expense. To sign the petition and learn how you can help, go to californiaschoolchoice.org. That's californiaschoolchoice.org. And remember, it's your kids, your money, and your choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom.
All right. Hey, we're back with you. Yeah, you asked if we could hear you. We sure can. This is Mike Alexander in the second half of uh, The Voice of Choice, or episode five, four. We're at this episode four uh, uh, today. And we just had a great interview with the lovely and well-informed Denisha Merriweather uh, from the American Federation of Children uh, and also the founder of Black Minds Matter. Uh, don't forget that website. It was just an amazing interview. We need to get her out here uh, and, and do some type of a rally. She's great people. But uh, now we come up for everybody's favorite uh, feature during the week, and that is Government Grifter of the Week Award with uh, our, our award-winning, I gave you an award, our award-winning secret correspondent here. Where's, where's, the, where's the award? Uh, it's in the mail. Okay, All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> glad to hear it. Juan Tierra. All right, yes, Juan, what do you have for us today? Well, first of all, Mike, I'd like to congratulate on your great interview with Victor Davis Hanson last week. Oh, thank you. Very good. I'm a big fan of his. In fact, on that bookshelf behind me, somewhere, at least two of his books, by the way. Yes, he's wonderful. Yeah, I, I got a lot of positive feedback from that. And you know what, Victor Davis. Hanson, uh, really ask a few questions, make a few comments, and just get out of the way. And uh, and this guy, just hand him the ball. You don't even have to block. (laughs) Just just let him rip. But I thought it was great. Now, one of his main points he made was that there's an assault on by elite institutions on our American values, particularly coming out of academia. Yes. In today's grifter segment, we'll make that case. That is, within the UC and state college system, there are well-paid professors fostering a sense of victimhood and encouraging racial, gender, and economic divisiveness. Sources today, Time Magazine, American Marxism by Mark Levin, the website American Greatness, and, of course, TransparentCalifornia.com. Now, last week, we delved into the case of a third-grade math teacher who instructed her class Take a test of intersectionality, forcing them to deconstruct their racial identities and rate themselves on a power and privilege scale. Where did this concept come from? Now, a couple of years ago, a friend of mine, kind of a smart guy, Marty Alec, sent me this link, intersectionalityscore.com. I highly recommend it for humor, okay? With this admonition, you may have heard of intersectionality, but uh, the intersection of race, identity, gender, all that, but you don't know how to compare your oppression to others. Now you can. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. Now, all right. So, so I can come up with an oppression score in oh, my life. Oh, you get one. Yeah, oh, oh, right. oh, I knew. oh, you get. Uh, I'll tell you mine in a minute. Okay. So you take this test. <laughs> oh, I'm loving this. Race, yeah. gender, family uh-huh. structure, Jewish, Muslim, Christian, whatever, on down the line, able bodiedness, right. English speaking. Yeah. And it's a sliding scale. You can go up and down, like devout Jewish, not so devout Jewish, not devout at all, back and forth, okay? Right. You take this and you get a score. Now, I came in at a nine. <laughs> now, no, put, now, this is a nine on the oppression scale. On, uh, are you a level nine oppressor or a level yes. nine oh, victim? Absolutely. Which Hard, is it? Hardcore, hardcore oppressor. Okay. Hardcore. All right, good. The lower your score, the more oppressive, the higher score you're oppressed. That's now, a scale of 10, right? Uh, no, it's the, it, you can, it, the numbers are all over the place. Take a look at it. It's hilarious. It's oh, 64, man. you can get a, a 
and 92. So the most most privileged people are people of uh, uh, males, heterosexual males, very yeah. wealthy, educated, oh. English speaking, oh, no. able bodied. Uh, we're, we're the we're the bottom. We're the worst. Okay, we're the oppressors. Yeah. I want to know the most oppressed people? Yeah. Transgender Muslims. <laughs> I guess I'm not, so. I'm yeah. Not, I'm not. I'm not making this up. Well, I Pick don't think I disagree. I, <laughs> they're talking about somebody's got a tough road to hoe. Yeah, if you get thrown <laughs> off a building, you're yeah. oppressed. That's for sure. That's right, if you're man. If you you're thrown off a building, that's oppression. Okay. That's right, yeah. And, and that burqa's no protection when, <laughs> when he gets tossed. <laughs> anyway, so this, 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 now I thought this was a, I think it was the dumbest uh, thing I'd ever seen. I'm going to get in trouble. The dumbest thing I'd ever seen or yeah. a big parody. Right. Somebody you see at Babylon B, the Onion. Okay, a satirical yeah. site. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, I told you I got a nine. I was a presser. I didn't know I was oppressing anybody, but I guess I was. Who knows? Anyway. Yeah. So I looked into this. This uh, this origins theory came out of academia. Uh, yeah. Big big surprise, right? Legal scholar Kimberly Crenshaw coined the term in 1989 to describe how systems of oppression overlap. Mm. to create this experience for people with multiple identity, blah, blah, blah. Right. What's the purpose? This is great. Let me get this quote exactly right. The most powerful use of intersectionality is to identify oppressors and encourage them to share their privilege and money oh. with the victims of their oppression. Yeah. Okay. What will that do? This will produce a more inclusive outcome and improve overall diversity. Got all the buzzwords in there, right? Yeah. Great. Now, uh, this, this is this is uh, Kimberly, uh, one of our nominees will be Kimberly uh, Crenshaw. Next, in Mark Lynn's best-selling book, American Marxism, under climate change fanaticism, he describes the degrowth movement, the deindustrialization de de movement, which is very popular on some academic circles and moving into Congress, by the way. This is part of the Green New Deal. A leading proponent of this uh, anti-capitalist economic theory is one David Pellow, professor of environmental sciences at UC Santa Barbara. Now he's got a paper, Critical and Environmental Justice. Here's a sample of his leftist gobbledygook. Got to get this right. <laughs> right. The principle of environmental justice embraces a synthesis of anti-racism, ecological sustainability, but also supports anti-militaristic, anti-imperialistic, gender justice. This principle also recognizes the inherent and cultural worth of non-human natures, like mm. mosquitoes and roaches. I don't yeah. know what. Okay. Animals, of course. That, there, there, there's, a, there's a character for you. Now, from critical race theory is represented by a Cal State professor named Teresa Montano, who teaches the uh, head of the department, Chicano and Chicano Studies, and is a professional CRT coach. A who? Now, oh, who? Wait, wait, hold on. She's a CRT coach? Coach. He's a coach. He's, he's right. a professor of Chicana right. and Chicana Studies and a CRT coach. Huh. Now, Larry Sand, our friend, yeah. supporter of school choice and an excellent education writer, found this quote from uh, Professor Montano when she gave a, web, a webinar to some of her students. Don't say critical race theory. Just teach its precepts. There you go. Now, at least at this right. point, at least at this time, she told the truth. Mm -hmm. But so, so in other words, well, they're bound to swerve of, into it from uh -huh. time to time. Yeah, the use of CRT has come so toxic. 
So you avoid <laughs> the term, but you teach the precepts. Yeah. Got yeah. that? This is what's going on at uh, North Cal State. By the way, Cal State Northridge has the largest Chicano and Chicano Studies Department in the country. So, okay, so these guys are grifters. All right. So, what's the price tag for all this environmental wisdom and all of this solid state bovine methane uh, gas here? Uh, glad you asked. That's next. Good, <laughs> good, 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 straight man there. Good. Our three nominees. This is of 2020. Uh, the cost of sal salaries and benefits in round numbers. And nominee number one. Kimberly Crenshaw, UCLA and Columbia Law Professor. Regular pay, $177,000. Benefits, $35,000. Total, $212,000. Mm -hmm. Number two, the aforementioned David Pello, Professor of Environmental Justice, UC Santa Barbara. I like that. Regular title. pay, yeah. $261,000. Oh, Other oh. pay. Hey, we got some gender <laughs> discrimination going there. He's making more than the gal. Okay. Yeah, well, so, different different schools, different yeah. you know, whatever. Two sixty one. Yeah, well, he, he should take he should take the intersectionality test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's, he's making a, more money. Uh, he's getting up there on the oppressor scale. Okay, well, I'm, I'm sure. I don't, I don't know what his race <laughs> is, but whatever. Uh, benefits forty seven thousand dollars total. Uh, salaries and benefits three hundred twenty three thousand dollars. Ooh. Uh, last but certainly least, Professor Teresa Montano. Professor Chicano, Chicano Studies, Cal State Northridge. He's kind of a piker, only $100,000. Benefits, $31,000. Total, $131,000. So what's there's, there's three, three academics three academics with doing this race and gender studies stuff and I mean, with doing the, very well. With a gig like that out at Cal State Northridge, she should be doing better here. I'm, I'm, con well, I'm concerned uh, about this inequality in the payment uh, of, of of these flakes. Well, maybe right? you can start a GoFundMe fund for. Yeah, GoFundMe. Yeah, but you know, we, I, I think we need to put these guys on uh, on that diversity score box there. And uh, that's true. I mean, David's in trouble. I mean, he's a man. He's getting paid more. Um, Much more. I think we need to call him to account. But in the meanwhile, you know we. Uh, do we have any more nominees? Or these are the top oh, that, three for that, this that's week. That's my, my usual three. Numero trace. Yeah, hey, yeah here that's we go. Good. Yeah, hey, I like that uh, uh, lingo there. All right, so now. Uh, and you know, and you know, the winner so is. The, the, we hold it now. The producer, we got to give him a little bit of blank, a little bit of room here to do the drum roll. And the winner is. Well, for the first time in the history of the Grifter Award, it's a tie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, because I can't make my mind up. Now, number one, Kimberly Crenshaw could win because she invented this Marxist intersectionality yeah. theory in 1989. 30 years later, it's percolated down to third graders in Cupertino. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that's a, that's a, he's got a pretty good uh, case there. On yeah. the other hand, David Pello, who advocates for the Green New Deal and the yeah. degrowth movement, while making $276,000 in salary, could be a winner also. Yeah. Now, I doubt that Professor Pello lives a simple life, a minimalist existence, uh, making that kind of money. No, Can no, you no. say hypocrisy? Did no. you see Santa Barbara? Please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, he's not. Although that environmental factor, uh, yeah, I like that other one, inventing that intersectionality term. 
you know, on a level of difficulty, I think <clears throat> I think you're going to have to have an adjustment factor here, right? So, there is. No, no, you, you, you start in the middle and you can move yeah. it left or right. Okay. You get all, all kinds right. of gradations. Yeah, all right. Now, see, ho, ho, now I'm gonna, I'll send it to you and you can take it. Let me know how you do. All right. Oh, man. Yeah, that'll be that. <laughs> What's a new record? Let, let me tell you, does a military background make you more or less an oppressor? I don't. I don't think that's one. Of the, I don't think it's one of the uh, factors. Because all right, all right. But uh, but yeah, you you ought to take it and see how you do. Oh. By the way, read read the, the comments. They're they're better. They're hilarious. Yeah. One guy had a comment said, "I got a score of two, which I think that's how many sexes there are." <laughs> all right. Hey, everybody's having fun. And what's that website again? If you want to go and find out what your what your score is, your uh, whether you're sure. a victim or an oppressor, uh, wh where you rank on a scale of uh, victimhood, you should go to what website? Intersectionalityscore.com. Intersectionalityscore.com. I'll repeat it. Intersectionalityscore.com. That's got to be a winner. We're going to burn that thing up. Juan Tierra, I want to thank you again for coming Pleasure. on today. And that should be come pretty close here, Mr. Producer, to bringing us to about an, uh, an hour show here. We try to get it in and done in an hour. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again on Episode 5 of the Government Grifter of the Week Award. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've been fortunate enough to have uh, Mr. Juan Tierra his Gnome Day podcast reporting to us on our ever-popular feature, Government Grifter of the Week Award. And once again, Educational Grifter. Educational Grifter. <laughs> Educational Grifter, Government Grifter of the Week. We've had him on again. And uh, I want to thank you all for joining us here. Don't forget to sign up. Give us some love. Go to CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. Make sure we're connected with you. Forward this to your, your social media, <clears throat> to Twitter, Critter, Getter. There's a new one out there. We just signed up with Getter, G-E-T-T-R. Uh, send it there to your YouTube uh, and Facebook groups. Spread the word about what we're doing. This is really, uh, really important, especially that wonderful uh, interview with Denisha Merriweather. So this is Mike Alexander <clears throat> for The Voice of Choice, bidding you goodbye, and we will see you next week at the same time and the same station. Voice of Choice podcast ad paid for by Californians for School Choice. Committee major funding from Dale Brooms.